0: Chapter 13. Sunday morning we're studying the book of Hebrews together. And we'll look at two verses this morning. If you're with us this morning and you don't have a Bible, there are men coming up the aisles right now with Bibles. Just wave and get their attention. They'll be happy to get a Bible into your hands. So that way you can read the Scriptures and then listen to the teaching, uh, looking at the Scriptures themselves. And it has uh, a multiplied... Uh, Impact and effect upon our lives as a result. And please, if you don't own a Bible, make that Bible a gift from the Lord to you today. Two verses, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 18 and 19. The writer, by the Holy Spirit, declares, pray for us, for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably, But I especially urge you to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for these two verses as we thank you for every single sentence, every word of your word, every jot, every tittle. We are thankful for every revelation of yourself, Lord found in this wonderful book. And we pray that you would freshly fill us with your Holy Spirit right now and give us a supernatural capacity to hear your voice through your word this morning. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I think that it's fascinating to realize that as we have studied this beautiful, majestic book of Hebrews together for so many long months now on Sunday morning, that here in verse 18, for the very first time in the entire letter, the writer speaks of himself personally and individually. And to me, it is very, very interesting to notice the subject that he raises in doing that. The entire letter is completely dominated, as we've seen, by the author's deep, deep knowledge uh, of the Lord, the significance of his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. The writer is completely dominated by a very, very personal love for the Lord and a very, very personal love for these Christians that he has written to. And yet before he can successfully close this letter, he has a personal request to make of the readers. And what does he request of them? Fascinating, isn't it? He requests of them prayer. Now I'm going to give us a couple of basics related to prayer this morning because some of us have known the Lord for decades. Others of us in the room, this is the first time have ever been in a church or have ever even been exposed to the subject of prayer. And prayer is very simply communication with God. It is simply talking with God, whether out loud or whether in my heart. I'm going to talk with them both ways. And that's what prayer is. It is to have a conversation with God. I talk and God listens and then he talks And I listen, and prayer is not any more complicated than that. If we make it more complicated than that, I mean, it's a deep subject. There's a lot to it. There's a lot to experiencing God in there. But if we make it more complicated than that, then people will just have a tendency to put it off in the corner and say, this is a very complicated activity, and I'll have to spend the rest of my life studying it theologically before I ever start to engage in it. And, of course, that's a great mistake. And so it's simply communicating with God. Now, communication is the lifeblood of any relationship. You cannot have true depth and intimacy in a relationship with another person without deep personal communication. And what is true of our relationship with another human being is also true of our relationship with the Lord. A husband and wife... They can choose to ne- neglect meaningful communication and they can then settle into kind of this cool, distant, um, workmanlike uh, relationship within a marriage with one another. And they're still husband and wife, but the relationship that makes marriage the delightful thing that it can be will never happen apart from meaningful communication. And again, the same thing is true of our relationship with the Lord. A Christian can be a Christian apart from a meaningful prayer life because salvation is based upon faith. But a Christian will never know the relationship that God intends to have with us if we do not pray. I think one of the saddest things to witness in life, and that's saying a lot because there's a lot of sad things to witness in life. This is a fallen place. Doesn't mean that there aren't a lot of blessings in life as well. But one of the f- saddest things to ever witness in a marriage is when one partner strongly desires a deep, meaningful, personal, communication with their spouse, and yet their spouse has zero interest in that at all. Think about what a pain-filled way to live, and yet many people live that way. And when prayer is neglected in a Christian's life, Jesus is the neglected spouse. He is the groom. We are the bride of Christ. The Bible teaches that God is always eager to talk with us by means of prayer. Earlier in the book of Hebrews, the writer wrote, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Our access to God, because of our faith in the Lord Jesus, our access to God is immediate in prayer. I haven't yet seen the throne that my prayers ascend to, but one day I will. I'll be on that glassy sea. I'll see that heavenly throne room. But the Bible teaches that we have immediate access to God through prayer. Any time, any place I can engage in prayer. Begin a conversation with God. I can be talking with him. Something comes up of a situation. I can be talking with him while I'm driving. I can talk with him anytime, any place. And then something happens, some crazy person is driving. Lord, hold that thought and we can come back to it 90 seconds later when I punch it and get around that person that doesn't know how to drive. Or whatever the circumstance might be. Uh, in life. We can talk to him once a day. We can talk to the Lord a thousand times a day. Do you realize that some some of the most jaw-dropping statements that Jesus made in his teaching while he was here on the earth had to do with prayer? I'll just read one to you, Matthew chapter 7. He said, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find Knock, and it will be opened unto you. If that's true, and it is true, you cannot have a greater encouragement to prayer than Jesus has given in the promises in just that one verse. If a Christian were to take that single line related to prayer, seriously, we would never stop praying. We'd never stop asking or seeking or knocking. Jesus went on to say, "'For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open." For what man? And now he speaks of the heart of God. What is the attitude of God toward us when we pray? Oh, boy, he wants another dime out of my pocket, I'll tell you, this guy. No, that's not his heart. Jesus said, For what man is there among you? If his son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, that he will give him a serpent. And if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, and we do, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Again, you cannot have a greater encouragement to prayer than those two or three sentences that Jesus taught to his disciples and to us related to prayer. It is important to realize that the depth and the quality of our relationship with God is always determined by us. This morning, the relationship with God that I have, the closeness of that relationship, the intimacy of that relationship is completely determined by me. And the same thing is true of you as a Christian because we are always the limiting factor. God is never the limiting factor in that because he will engage us in as deep and personal a relationship with him as we desire. James said, draw near to God and he will draw near to us. Always he will meet us. Always He will provide us with the depth of relationship and intimacy of relationship that we desire of Him. He will never be neglectful there. He will never be hesitant there. He is always eager. We are the ones who always determine the quality and the intimacy of relationship that we have with the Lord. Now the Bible also teaches that our prayers are a sweet smelling incense to God. In other words, Our prayers bless him. Revelation chapter 5 verse 8. Now when he, that is Jesus, had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp, and then here it is, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. God not only hears our prayers, our prayers not only bless him, He not only answers our prayers, but He keeps our prayers in the same way that we would keep a love letter. I hope everyone, sooner or later in our life, has received a love letter that we treasure and we keep in a drawer somewhere or some kind of a place and able to go back to it. Maybe sometime after it's been received, realize what a blessing something like that is from another person. And the Lord keeps our prayers In the same way, they bless him. I'll tell you, we should never, ever lose our awe over the privilege of prayer. Just stop and think for a moment here. Easy to say that. We should never lose our awe over the privilege of prayer. But to just stop this morning and to think about where our prayers go when we pray straight to God, instantly he hears us. There's a lot of people in life that I can't get through to immediately. I have to leave a message either with a receptionist or a personal assistant or I have to leave a message on some message machine or something like that. Incredible to believe that at any instant, day or night, I can pray to God and I have instant access to Him. And then to realize the price that was paid in order for me to have that privilege and to have that access. The shed blood of Christ in order to allow me to have the privilege of prayer and for you likewise as a Christian. Just amazing. Now I want you to notice that the writer asked the readers to pray for him in general, but he also... uh, asked them to pray related to a specific need in his life, a specific desire in his life. And verse 18 tells us what that is. The specific request was that I may be restored to you sooner. So he's eager to come and see them. He wants to see them face to face. And I mean, you can feel that all the way through the letter. He's concerned for the decisions that they're making or potentially making. He would like to come and visit them, but there is something that is hindering him at the moment, and he wanted them to pray that he could come to see them sooner rather than later. Now, this kind of prayer that he's asking for of the readers is known as intercessory prayer. And intercessory prayer is where I pray for someone else, or I pray for uh, the person or some situation that a person finds themselves in. So that's what intercessory prayer is, to pray for another person or for a situation or circumstance that they find themselves uh, in. Now, the fact that the writer called upon his readers to pray for him, it demonstrates to us the absolute confidence that he had in the effectiveness of prayer. That's a powerful thing when a person asks another person to pray for him or for her. That's a communication on the part of the person who's asking for prayer, of their confidence in the power and the effectiveness of prayer. And I think it's wonderful to realize that here you have a man who is as uh, deep in the Lord and as spiritual a man as the writer of the book of Hebrews uh, was, and to realize this is a human being who knows the power of prayer the impact of prayer, and he believes uh, in that. And power, prayer is powerful because the God that we pray to is powerful, and the writer knew that. I think it's also good to realize that through intercession, we can affect any situation in the world, no matter how far away we might be geographically. to so have been praying for Boston all week long, haven't you been? saw some of those pictures in the videos. From the knee down, just bone. Not an ounce of flesh left on the leg. Human being just like me, just like you, just was going to go and watch some runners run by, people that they knew, people that they loved, or just a day out in the middle of things. To pray for their healing, pray for God to meet them in a way that only God can meet a person like that. And then the repercussions, the deaths, how many people are affected by each person, all those things, and to realize that through intercession, even though I'm separated for, by thousands of miles from Boston, I was able to be effectively and powerfully involved in people's lives there in Boston. That's what happens when we pray. He's separated geographically a great distance from who it is that he's writing to here. But it doesn't matter. They don't need to see face-to-face or be in the same room. He's asking them to intercede, and when we intercede for somebody... We can intercede from the other side of the world. We can pray for a loved one who is on the other side of town. Effectively, powerfully. We can pray for uh, a loved one who is on the other side of the country. We can pray for missionaries on the other side of the world and be actively engaged and effective in their ministry. I don't, have, I don't have to spend thousands of dollars to fly to the other side of the world. I would if God told me to. But I don't have to fly to the other side of the world to be instrumental in the influence of the kingdom of God or be influential in a particular situation that somebody is experiencing on the other side of the world. All I need to do is take a prayer list, whether it's on a sheet of paper or in my own heart, a map of the world, find a quiet place, and an hour later I can reemerge from that place having impacted things related to the kingdom of God all around the world through intercessory prayer. It's amazing. It's amazing. It almost makes you think about turning off the television for an hour to be able to do something like that. That's the power of it. That's the influence of it. And the writer knew the power and the influence of that. And it's amazing the opportunity that God has given us to affect through intercessory prayer. I want you to also notice something that is very, very important in this passage. It just sits right on the surface, but sometimes if you're like me, you can miss the most obvious thing in a passage. The very, very important thing that I want us to notice is that he asked people to pray for him. He asked people to pray for him and to pray for his situation. He knew that he needed to have people praying for him, and so he did something very, very simple. First, he asked people to pray for him, and then second, he told them what he needed prayer regarding. You look in the Scriptures, and you read about how often the Apostle Paul asked people to pray for him, over and over again. The Apostle Paul Romans chapter 15, now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. Second Corinthians chapter 1, you also bearing, uh, helping together in prayer for us, that thanks may be given by many persons on behalf of the gift granted to us through many Philippians chapter 1, verse 19. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Philemon, verse 22. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. There's a couple more. Ephesians chapter 6. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, and for me, that influence may be given to me. He asks for prayer, and then he gives them the specifics. That utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Oh, the Apostle Paul, he would never be anything less... Then absolutely bold in any situation that he'd ever find himself in. The Apostle Paul would never fail to share the gospel in each and every situation that he finds himself in the middle of. I mean, it just comes naturally to him. It's effortless for him. It's just part of God's call upon his life. It's the product of prayer and intercession on top of all of those other things. And he knew it. And he knew he needed people's prayers. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Paul wrote, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 25 is about as simple as it gets. Paul wrote and he said, Brethren, pray for us. And then in 2nd Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 1, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. I mean, you almost get the impression that the apostle Paul wanted to be on every prayer list that existed. He wanted people praying about him for big things, for little things, for everything. He wanted people to be praying for him. And if the Apostle Paul needed prayer, if the Apostle Paul recognized his need for prayer, then how much more do we need to have people praying for us? Who prays for you? who do you know that day in and day out you are on their prayer list and that they pray for you personally and specifically and maybe the bigger question is who do you ask to pray for you We need to have people praying for us. Sometimes after a service or whatever the circumstance might be, someone will come up to me and they'll say, Pastor, would you pray for me? And I say, yes, what can I pray for you related to? And they begin to lay out the circumstance that they're in. Wow. It is so big. And it is so hard. And I typically tell a person in that circumstance, i say, I will gladly pray for you, and I will continue to pray for you, but you need more people praying for you in this situation. The Bible says that we're to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. There are burdens that I must carry on my own just between the Lord and I. And then there are other burdens that come into my life as a Christian that are to be borne by others in my life. I can never carry them alone. And prayer is a part of that caring, holding people's arms up. I'll typically say to a person, do you know somewhere between three and five people at least that number one, you know they pray, and number two, you know they care about you, that you can inform about this situation so that they can be interceding for you because you are going to need people praying for you in this situation, in the heartbreak, in the spiritual warfare, in the whatever it might be that they're facing. And I won't let a person loose until they tell me they have three to five people that they are going to contact And they're going to have now engage in their life actively every single day and as often as the Holy Spirit prompts to be involved in their life in prayer. And I'll say, if you know Christians like that, then contact them and do this immediately. The fact of the matter is that all of us need prayer. We all need to have a group of intercessors who are praying for us and who we are praying for as well. If you don't have that, if you don't know that you are on the prayer list of at least five men or women, women, may I suggest to you that you pray and you ask God who you should approach and say, would you intercede for me? And here's the area that I need intercession on. You say, I don't know five people like that. Or, boy, that's going to, I don't know that I'm comfortable approaching people like that. Could we set up kind of a church program and and we'll link up, this person wants intercession and these people want to intercede? I wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. Talk about complicating something. God will show you. God will show you. He will put the intercessors together and the need together. He'll match it. He'll do it. You just ask Him. And part of the thing that happens, and it's one of the great things that happens when I recognize this need for intercession and then to recognize others have the same need in their life and I want to be interceding for them, is it almost forces me to develop relationships with other Christians when some of us might be hesitant to develop those relationships, to get to know somebody that well. And typically what it will require is being engaged, at least in a church this size, being engaged in the church and on probably a little more intimate level than the Sunday morning services because there's so many people. Now, some of you are people people, and you'll talk with 12 people before you get to your car today. Others of you... Well, that's an unfriendly church. I haven't had... Nobody said hi to me at all. Well, you get to your car in three and a half seconds. Who has time to say hi to you? And sometimes it'll be in a home fellowship or the men's Bible study or the women's Bible study or, some, or just beginning to hang out and start to talk with people a little bit. And the relationship develops and we realize, all right, God's put this person in my life and I want to be praying for them and I want them to be praying for me, and we really need this. Our culture is so it, it really breeds individuality and and individual strength, and there 's a lot of virtue about that, but it does have some disadvantages as well. Our culture breeds isolation and it really breeds this idea of giving the appearance that I have have it all together even if I don't have it all together. So we carry that whole vibe into the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is a family. It's a very transparent place. And and God makes it a place where we can be vulnerable with one another selectively. I mean, sometimes depending what the issue is and all. But the Lord will protect us in an environment like this as we're seeking Intercession. And so sometimes because of the way the culture is or the way that we are in terms of our personality, we really have to fight against an inner resistance in order to make ourselves vulnerable to others related to the needs in our life for prayer. But we desperately need it. We need to be praying, being prayed for. And it needs to be just as supernaturally natural as we see in the Apostle Paul's life, as we see in the writer of the book of Hebrews here, where it's just, it's just them. It's just the thing. I've got a need in my life. I'm going to ask people to pray for me on it instead of, you know, holding on to the thing as a great dark secret or trying to struggle through it on my own sometimes we look at the christianity in the bible the simplicity of it maybe the co- the culture was a little more conducive for it or whatever it might be and then we look at what kind of what it has it becomes today and we see a, a distance between the two we realize this is the right way as it's in the book and so the importance of sometimes fighting through that uncomfortableness or Um, you know, making ourselves vulnerable, developing relationships like that. But it's important that we do so because we really need people to be praying for us. Everybody needs to have a handful of people that are Christians that when a crisis hits, we can pick up the phone and a relationship is there and we can begin to talk, we can talk to them and say, would you pray for me related to this right now and would you continue to pray for me? Now, if you're in a kind of a place where you say, listen, this is my first Sunday here, I don't know a single person, and uh, or I'm a, I'm a brand new Christian, I don't have anybody like that in my life, fine, call the office. and ask for prayer by one of the pastors. It, it, it'll be, everyone else that you ask to pray for you after that will be better than what you're going to get from any of us when God kind of handpicks your team. But if you say, I need a little bit of a stopgap while all of this gets put together, then use us before the services, after the services, during the week, whatever. We're here to, to be a part of your life in, in that way. And I think that we're going to need to have this in place, this, this, this group of intercessors in our lives and then those that we're interceding for more and more as we await the Lord's return. And so someone might say, well, what is the word of the Lord related to this passage today? Oh, it's about the need for intercession, for us not to leave this place today and just say, well, that was interesting. That's food for thought. Yes, he's absolutely correct. But to but to really take it the next step and say, Lord, I ask that you put that group together. I want to wake up every single day knowing that I am on somebody's prayer list that's praying for me, and the Lord will do that. And so the author of the book of Hebrews, I mean, think about this guy. Think about the spirituality of this guy. He needed prayer, and he asked for prayer, and we need to ask for it as well so that it just becomes this normal living part of our spiritual life. It's interesting, I think, Jesus thinks so much of intercession that when he um, gave the disciples what's known as the Lord's Prayer, they said, they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And Jesus said, "We'll pray after this manner, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Every personal pronoun in that prayer is in the plural. There's not an I or a me in it. You see, I want to pray for people. I want to pray for my daughter. I want to pray for my father. I want to pray for my neighbor. I want to pray for my best friend. I, don't, I want to be an intercessor to them. I want to affect their life. And their, I don't even know where to begin. Pray the Lord's Prayer, meaning it, and thinking of them, and you'll be interceding. You can pray the Lord's Prayer and think of one person. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Lord, thank you so much that I share you with a body of your people that are by the tens and hundreds of millions all around the world. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Lord, we pray, I pray that you give Calvary Chapel of Modesto and everybody that attends the church the consciousness that you're returning and help us today to walk as strangers and pilgrims in this world and for your glory and for your greatness to be greater than any problems that we're going to face today, to remember that we're just strangers passing through. And the prayer just begins to launch us off in all these different places And we can pray those things. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Lord, I pray for this person and that person and that person that you supply their physical needs today in the situation that they're facing, in the uncertainty of their job or the layoff or whatever it might be. Or you can pray it for the whole body of Calvary Chapel or the body of Christ and the whole wide world. It's not good to get so general that we don't think of anyone individually on things, but we can do it. Whoever we want to think about. But Jesus, the whole thing is to nurture intercession. That at the same time that we're praying for our own needs, that we are also then praying for other people. Because He recognizes our need for intercession. To have, to be praying for one another and to be praying for one another. Now, let me close with this in verse 18, a little thought on how we are to assist our intercessors. If we are going to ask people to take on the responsibility of interceding for us, then we have a responsibility to those that we've asked to pray for us. And the responsibility that we have, notice in verse 18, is the responsibility of living our lives in such a way that allows their prayers to be effective. To live our lives in such a way that allows God to answer their prayers for us without any kind of hindrance or any kind of complications. How do we do that? He tells us, verse 18, by maintaining a good conscience before God. A good conscience is a clean conscience. A conscience that isn't accusing us of any willful sin. Otherwise, if I, what good is it if I ask a whole army of people to intercede for me or my situation if I'm living my life in such a way that grieves or quenches the Holy Spirit in my life, or my disobedience to God's commandments are such that it's put me in the doghouse where God can't bless me the way that he wants to bless me, but now he's got to spend time chastening me and disciplining me to bring me back to a life of simple obedience to him. And and so we can work against, we're asking people to pray, and be effective in prayer in these areas in our life. But our life has to be lived in such a way that allows those prayers to be effective. And so when we ask people to pray for us, uh, we need to cooperate by living a life of integrity, a life in obedience to God's Word, or as the writer puts it, to live honorably. Beautiful, beautiful two verses On this important subject of intercession. Reality of intercession. Let's stand together and we'll pray.